Uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week in, Re- Week in Review podcast mm-hmm. on Friday, January 5th, sponsored by 42 Bar and Table at the Clinton Center. On today's edition, we're going to talk about the Justice Department and marijuana, a new Republican gubernatorial candidate, and Medicaid in Arkansas. I'm joined by Benjamin Hardy. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Benji. Thanks for being with us. Max is on a cruise. He'll be back in two weeks. Where's Max? I don't know, actually. I think he's on a Pacific. No. He's on some island cruise. It's a short jaunt. Is Max CIA? Mm, That's a theory. Anyway. Okay. Getting on to the news. Attorney General Jeff Sessions this week rescinded an Obama-era directive that discouraged enforcement of federal marijuana restrictions on states where cannabis has been legalized. The move gives U.S. attorneys latitude to bring criminal charges in those states. It's unclear what the impact is in Arkansas, though in a meeting with reporters yesterday that you attended, Governor Hutchison called the change a significant development, and he said he hoped that states would come up with a policy to distinguish, or that the feds would come up with a policy to distinguish between states that allow recreational use and medical use. Uh, State Representative Doug House, who's been a leader in crafting the policy for the medical marijuana uh, framework in Arkansas, said something similar in an interview. Well, well, sort of, yeah. I mean, I think I think uh, Representative House went a lot further in in outright criticizing it. The governor was was pretty circumspect, as he tends to be about most things, about saying that he thought it was actually a bad move, Um, and the the. the venue in which he talked about this, it should be said, was not about the announcement in particular. It was about uh, Medicaid numbers that he wanted to, to brag about. So or, or some reporters just asked about the marijuana question in passing, and he kind of entertained the the, uh, the question. But um, he is really not something that I think he wants to talk about that much because it, it does put him politically in sort of a uh, – I don't know if it's a, a tough position exactly, but it's sort of an odd one because he is not – He's not a fan of marijuana. Um, I mean, Hutchinson used to head the DEA um, back during the Bush administration. He campaigned against the medical marijuana amendment in Arkansas. On a personal level, it's something that he he does not want to see happen. But he has uh, said from day one, since the uh, amendment was approved by voters in, in November of 2016, that he would work faithfully to implement it. And, you know, he hasn't, at least not on the surface, thrown up any sort of roadblocks to it. So he's, you know, proceeding with with implementation, um, though most of that is happening on the regulatory side. Uh, right now with getting licenses uh, uh, distributed through the, the Medical Marijuana Commission, which is a process that's taking um, quite some time. But, you know, um, the, the governor uh, philosophically and sort of, um, you know, politically are not, he's not quite aligned, I guess. Those two things are not quite in alignment. Uh, he, he said he had this funny quote about saying that, you know, he's known Jeff Sessions for for several decades since they were both U.S. attorneys together in the 80s. Um, and that the only surprise to him was that it took him this long to come up with something to undo the Obama era uh, policy guidance that that said that basically federal prosecutors shouldn't go after marijuana related crimes in states where it was there was some sort of a legal framework. Um, and so, yeah, so, so under, under Obama, basically, the Justice Department deferred to the states. I mean, sort of recognized that, that um, de facto that, that this was, you know, legalization was, was happening. In, uh, first in 
terms of medical marijuana, and then in some states towards the end of the Obama administration, um, you know, uh, beginning to move into recreational, and now um, you have California and, and several other states that, that are now have uh, recreational weed. Um, and in those states, you know, it's like the genie the genie's fully out of the bottle, really. I mean, California um, is just now um, moving forward with, with full recreational, but um, in, in Washington and Colorado, it's been up and running for years now. And so it's just, it's, it's sort of hard to imagine the Department of Justice, I mean, prosecuting people in these industries that are in these states fully above ground and, and quite, you know, um, well-developed commercial enterprises. Um, so in, in a way, the, the, the more immediate question is what happens in a state like Arkansas, where the industry is still, it's sort of waiting to be born, but um, it's not quite there yet. I mean, that could have a real chilling effect on the way that the industry sort of develops. And, and that's what Representative House especially talked about. He not only has been helping kind of develop the framework from the legislative side, He's been trying to be a go-between uh, between banks and potential, as they haven't set out who's going to be run dispensaries or cultivation centers, but the potential owners of those to make sure that there's some above-board way that that all these new businesses can process their their revenue. Uh, and he talked about, you know, I, he, he thinks that this is going to make all the banks pull out and we're going to have you know, AK-47s and, <laughs> you know, trucks of cash, and right. uh, it's going to be terrible. Yeah, right. And so finance really is, is one of the big questions with all of this, and, and that is one of the only specifics that the governor mentioned in his remarks was that uh, he hopes that the Justice Department will provide some clarity about um, what happens with, with uh, financial institutions handling this money. Because, um, right, uh, I think really nobody wants to see, um, in a way, the worst case scenario is that um, you you have this industry that, because of the threat of uh, of, of federal prosecution, banks are leery of, about getting involved, and, and all transactions must be done with cash, and so that creates just uh, a tr tremendous amount of opacity, I suppose, that happens when you when you have to have all of these transactions happening off the books in a way. Yeah. Can, no, we, no, yeah, no. can we just talk very briefly about how weird Jeff, Session, Jeff Sessions is, that he's obsessed over this for however many years, and that he's described marijuana as akin to heroin? Well, you know, and under federal law, it still is. I know. You I know. know. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it, is, it is strange, and it, 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 it's also, um, it, it's, it just seems so out of step with the, the, the Trump... Um, philosophy such as it is I mean are, are the, the sort of um, combination of, of social changes that have made Trump possible um, which is in, in a way like, like a sort of loosening of, of morals on, on the conservative side of the spectrum or at least of, of like um, imagining that a person like Donald Trump is acceptable I guess that like the sort of libertine um, uh Attitude, like I mean, and Trump himself has you know said in the campaign that he that he doesn't think that marijuana that the, that the Department of Justice should go after marijuana in states like Colorado. You know, he said like absolutely not. And um, but he's obviously disengaged with policies. So um, I mean, whether he would 
uh, get involved in any way on this particular issue is hard kind of, I guess, anybody's guess. Yeah, depends on how it bubbles up or when Fox and Friends talk about it. All right, let's move on and talk about our sponsor, 42 Bar and Table at the Clinton Center. When I take you out to lunch once a quarter to talk about our big visions for the coming months, we go to 42 Bar and Table and look out at the river passing by. Yes, and uh, once. Well, it's it's becoming a tradition, okay. I think, yep. especially now Excuse that me. now that they have uh, done the, the overhaul, total redecoration, sort of shifted things around. You can now enter from the outside, though maybe only at night. Now I'd heard that changed. Uh, excellent new menu, though plenty of the old favorites, like my uh, beloved. Uh, noodle dish that can be made vegan or with some salmon on top. We've got a great dinner menu now, drinks. It's just an excellent place to, to go for a quick lunch if you're downtown uh, Monday through Saturday or uh, to have dinner and drinks with friends for special occasions or just getting out of the house. 42 Bar and Table. Tell them we sent you. You heard it, heard about them on the podcast. I can't wait till you take me back. Okay, soon. We're in a new quarter. So Jan Morgan, the Hot Springs gun range owner, announced her expected Republican candidacy for governor at a New Year's Eve party in Hot Springs. Memory serves, you uh, you reported on the the story that initially made Jan Morgan the Muslim free notorious, right? Right. So remind listeners what why she's known. Well, I mean, I think she's known in part because for a long time she's been a Fox News regular. Was that even before the Muslim gun uh, range? Yeah, I think I think she was. Um, I, I don't know her history that well before that, but she, I think, in you know, certain certain gun loving circles, was well known before that. But yeah, she she attracted national attention because she she owns this place in Hot Springs, the Gun Cave, and um, she declared it to be Muslim free. Um, that she could ban um, anybody of the Muslim faith from entering her her business establishment and um which is not as quite as open and shut a matter of um you know you you can't do that because that runs afoul of federal discrimination laws as i would have thought and i remember talking to um some folks um who are experts on civil rights and you know they basically would have had to find a plaintiff who would who would bring a, a lawsuit saying this is like a matter of public accommodation that's being denied somebody on the basis of their faith and that never quite happened, um, though there was uh, a father and son who say that they were um, basically turned away from from the gun range because uh, of the color of their skin. I mean, because they weren't they weren't Muslim, but they were uh, South Asian, and and they said that Miss Morgan, you know, treated them um, like they were they shouldn't be there, and basically asked them to leave. And she, we never got her to talk about that on the record. She's she's hung up on me every time I tried to call. Um, interestingly, I've heard from, I heard from some other reporters at uh, the, uh, the Capitol yesterday who were just sort of chit-chatting about trying to reach her, and I don't think anybody's been able to, <laughs> to reach her. This is a strategy. The Arkansas Times' other interaction with her was she testified uh, during the, the great uh, concealed carry, uh, what's the word that we're looking for, debacle, oh, right. uh, when they'd passed a bad bill and then tried to slightly improve it and then it became even worse 
she testified against the even worse version because it had some restrictions. Is that right? Well, it's a, it was a convoluted yeah. sort of legislative back and forth that went on. But but, but yeah, I that, mean, essentially, she was taking the position that that this this bill, which I mean, the NRA was saying was was this great victory, you know, was not did not go far enough, and that her daughter was going to go out of state to college because she was afraid that because of this law because she couldn't carry her gun absolutely everywhere right because, right i mean um but she testified and we uh were taken by her uh shouting at the the members in the legislative committee and um pulled some streamed video and and made a youtube page and it's gotten way more uh hits than right. like anything we've I ever think, done oh we unwittingly became the um the distribution vehicle for <laughs> yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. So, what does this mean for Asa Hutchinson? Well, I mean, uh, who knows? Uh, it's 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 a fascinating um, <laughs> development. I mean, it, because I mean, your gut instinct is to say like it doesn't mean much of anything for Asa Hutchinson because he's a popular Republican governor and and, and he uh, is a smart guy and has basically built the Republican Party in Arkansas over the past 30 years. I mean, it's his party. He's not threatened by this this nutcase, frankly. But, um, you know, that's what people said about Donald Trump about 18 months ago, too, or 20-whatever, you know. So, um, I don't know. Um, it's 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 one of those, I guess, never-say-never never situations. Um, I, I, I sat down and watched her, her announcement video right before coming over here, and um, was struck by several things. I mean, one, um, at least in her own mind, she seems to take herself quite seriously. You know, it, it, she's she went down the list of all of these different policy issues. She didn't actually get to get around to guns until several minutes in. I mean, she talked about, um, I mean, she's basically hitting, trying to hit Ace on ways in which he might be vulnerable to the conservative activist base, which I think is different than than the the sort of average Republican uh, Arkansas, like Trump voter, um, right. who is motivated to come out on presidential elections, um, doesn't like Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, et cetera, but is not, you know, um, going to show up for a, a midterm primary that's going to determine the, the gubernatorial nominee. And I think that Jen Morgan is hoping that there is enough dissatisfaction among the sort of, um, you know, Tea Party, Ted Cruz, like, um, listening to um, right-wing radio every day sort of crowd that, that she can motivate a certain slice of activists to, to jump ship. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, that it's it's a, you know, if you're placing odds, it would be foolish to, to put any money on her whatsoever. But um, I think that, that the, the sort of calculation there that there is a weakness is, is really interesting, and it will also be interesting to watch Ace's behavior as a response. Well, yeah, we saw, I said that this has been expected. She didn't announce until New Year's Eve, but, you know, we'd been writing about it coming for a while. She, she did some sort of exploratory committee. But you had Governor Hutchinson late last year uh, telling the state police and the Prosecutors Association that he believes the law of the land is open carry, you know, apropos of nothing. <laughs> right, right. I mean, nothing. He, <laughs> he, just, he just, he was just suddenly yeah. struck by the thought. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, 
there's, there's, there's another sort of bigger picture question here, too, about, um, I mean, because she's clearly trying to run off of this Trump-like playbook of, of talking about establishment Republicans and, and sort of making these odd, logically incoherent, but, you know, rhetorically um, powerful, I suppose, um, uh, same breath statements about we need to lower taxes, et cetera, but then also slamming Asa for like having being in bed with big business and things like that. You know, his big business friends. Um, so she's trying to. I mean, so she's trying, which is what Trump did to great success. So, right. but but the question about Trump, sort of beyond Trump, is always like, is the, is there anything there besides just the force of his sort of his bizarro media personality? Is there like an actual sort of path forward, as Steve Bannon would have it, at least that like. This is what the the common working man of America, um, with conservative tendencies, truly wants. It's like a sort of economic populism. Um, of course, with you know Trump in terms of policy, it's proven to be completely incoherent. Like there's no trace of that populism anywhere. And I really have my doubts about whether anybody can replicate that sort of magic mix, at least even for electoral purposes. So, um, you know, I I don't I don't I don't know. I just don't think that the magic of <laughs> that Donald Trump brings to the to the um, conservative electorate can really be replicated. But. We shall see. We will continue to follow it. Yesterday, Governor Hutchinson announced at the uh, previously referenced press conference that enrollment in Arkansas's Medicaid program has declined almost 10 percent over the last year. Right. So um, this was this was Ace's. Um, I mean, one one way to look at this is like so. This is also Ace sort of sort of touting his conservative bona fides, um, but not really so much to the electorate as to the, the legislature because he's going to face um, an, another unpleasant um, fight that happens like a recurring nightmare every single year whenever the governor has to seek um, an appropriation to fund the. Arkansas Works, Medicaid expansion, private option, whatever. Um, so when did this start in 2013? Started in 2013 when BB was still governor. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, as as uh, we've discussed a million times before, this requires um, a 75 percent supermajority in both chambers in order to pass. Unless it doesn't. Unless it doesn't, which is a whole different <laughs> different deal. Um, but so. I mean, Asa has an especially steep hill to climb this year because of some vacancies in the Senate. Um, that mean, and and as far as I'm aware, and and there's this is a whole sort of side issue, but to achieve that supermajority in the Senate requires not 75% of sitting senators, but 75% of the number of seats. So being down two senators um, in a 35 body, a 35 member body, means that you have to get almost everybody on board basically. So this was Asa saying, um, look, we are, we're making this program conservative. You know, we're doing, this is the way we're on a track to be doing Medicaid the way it, it should be done. Um, which is fewer enrollees, lower costs and so on. Um, of, of the, the, that number that he, so, all right, so let's back up a little bit. Medicaid, you know, a huge sprawling program covers a lot of different populations of people. It covers hundreds of thousands of children under our kids in Arkansas. It also covers around 300,000 beneficiaries under the Medicaid expansion, which is made possible by the Affordable Care Act. And then it covers a bunch of other people, too, such as elderly people in nursing homes, such as disabled people, I mean, uh, the blind. Um, 
And so we can roughly divide those into two groups. There's the expansion population, which are the low-income adults that, were, that gained coverage in the past several years through Obamacare. And then there is traditional Medicaid, which is sort of everybody else, our kids, uh, nursing home folks, all those. So um, ACES says that both of those groups have declined by about 58,000 enrollees each since last January. Pretty significant numbers to fall off of the, of the rolls. Um, and that's not all. He also says that due to some, some sort of efficiency measures within DHS, uh, which I honestly can't speak to you quite as, as, as knowledgeably, um, that, that the sort of um, overall costs is, is going down too. You know, so it's, he's saying it's not just that fewer people are covered, it's also that, that the state is paying less um, to cover people in general. Um, one other thing, I mean, to, to note that I thought was sort of interesting about this, like, it, it's, 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 a, it's a detail, but it matters. Like, he was, so he was talking about how costs will go down uh, relative to what they're projected to be in the upcoming fiscal year. Um, and that's not an overall decline in costs. You know, so there's a difference there between saying the costs themselves actually go down and the, and the costs relative to the previous projection will go down. Because the second one is talking about slowing growth. And I mean, I, I just have to point that out because I, I, I couldn't help but remember back when the Obamacare repeal debate was happening several months ago, um, this was something that Republicans kept complaining about with the Congressional Bu Budget Office saying that they're going to cut Medicaid, they're going to cut Medicaid, they, and, and the Republicans would say, including Asa, he would say that, I heard him say this himself, well, that's not really true. We're not cutting Medicaid. We're just slowing its growth. Well, now he's talking about, I mean, he is taking the opportunity to brag about, you know, <laughs> reducing projected costs, which is really the same thing. He's like when he says we've reduced these projected costs by, you know, $500 million, he's really talking about slowing the growth of the program which is not an illegitimate way to think about it. I mean, that's what, we're, that's what everybody's trying to do when it comes to, to reducing healthcare costs. But it just goes to show how the rhetoric can be sort of twisted whichever which way you want it to be. Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's end it there and move on to endorsements. What do you have, Benji? Oh, I had something, but I... Okay, I'll go for I it. I'll go and while you okay. try to find it. So uh, over the holiday break, I had a chance to catch up on a few podcasts doing home chores and I uh, happened on the two-part episode our uh, uh, series that this American life did on Albertville Alabama did you happen to catch that I did not it's very very well done it was an eight-month investigation that they they did a team of them did Albertville is um, a, I forget what the population is relatively small town in Alabama that has a number of chicken plants which attracted uh, a large number of immigrants over the years, many of whom were illegal. Um, and it and it became, thanks to uh, some state politicians and then to Jeff Sessions, this example of how undocumented immigrants were, you know, ruining the fabric of small town life. Hmm. And it inspired the, the super um, uh, punitive immigration law that Alabama had several years ago that was ultimately struck down as being unconstitutional. But This American Life oh, does, that law, does yeah. a really deep dive into like what it actually meant for the community, what it meant for their tax base, 
you know, everything from sort of how it felt, how it, on both sides, um, and like how the community's changed and what they learned from it. And it's just really fascinating. It's super nuanced and it's not, I mean, I think probably a lot of people would think this American life is, has probably a, a relative, relatively progressive bias and they're going to go in and say like all these jackass legislators just spun this out of nothing. Uh-huh. They don't do that. I mean, they do it, they do it a little bit cause they did. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, Alabama politicians talking polemically and stirring people up and making stuff up, but there is something to it. Uh, it's just, it is just such a well done look at, um, immigration, small town life. And, you know, I'm sure that aside from the politicians, you know, really making a huge issue out of it, it's probably a lot like some towns in Arkansas where there are chicken plants and a number of, of immigrants. Hmm. I'd, I'd like to check that out. It yeah. was in December. Uh, it's The name of the episode is Our Town. So okay. I think that it's probably still available wherever you get podcasts. Well, I'll um, I'll recommend a podcast too. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but um, I have been uh, been cleaning houses for money or a friend's house for money at least, and that's increased my podcast listing yeah. exponentially. Um, more perfect? Have you heard that? No, uh, it's a more perfect union. Right? Yeah. It's so. Um, my friend Deshaun, who um, who turns me on to most media that I haven't heard of before, recommended it to me. Um, it's really great. It's, so it's it's uh, from the creators of Radio Lab, and um, every ep- it's just about a, uh, about Supreme Court cases that are significant. Every episode is like an hour devoted to a particular landmark Supreme Court case. Um, I listened to one earlier this week that was about I can't remember the name of the case, which is uh, embarrassing, but it was uh, it's, it basically set the standard for for police brutality and police shooting cases and in in, in in the 1980s and it it delves into i mean the case itself is interesting it's about this this man with diabetes who uh, was pulled over was going into diabetic shock because he um, couldn't get he needed to basically ingest some sugar and he couldn't buy his bottle of orange juice because he was stopped by the cops and and so he was acting peculiar and the cops thought he was drunk and basically brutalized him and he wasn't shot but he ended up uh, suing and it went all the way to the Supreme Court and it led to the the sort of creation uh, or the clarification by the court of of the standard that you see discussed in in every case that has been so high profile um, you know from the Michael Brown shooting on down over the past several years which is that it, the sort of reasonable person standard about did this officer behave in the way that a reasonable police officer would be expected to behave in the moment in which they you know fired their weapon and it's all about this particular episode is all about how like you know that that standard when it was first clarified by by the court in the late 80s i mean civil rights advocates thought it was this great victory because um it it seemed to to provide some clarity to to what the you know the, the police can't do but it's actually been used as this shield and cops have grown to see it as a shield because when you ask jurors to place themselves in that situation of that in that cop's head at that moment you know um it it sort of uh 
it constricts the view of the jury, you know, away from all of the objective facts of the case about like, did this person deserve do anything whatsoever to deserve to get shot? And it just it asks them to to you know place themselves in the psychological uh, state of that officer at that time. Um, anyway, that's a long detour, but um, sounds great. I mean, I, I I personally you know never grasped really like the the what what underlies that and, you know, and, and that is the case with so many things that that uh, happen in our politics about like that come down to some some piece of legal language and this podcast does a really great job of digging into what is the what's the sort of origin story of all of these different um, um, landmark cases yeah I love hearing and reading about Supreme Court stuff the slate uh, Dahlia Lithwick's Supreme Court podcast is worth checking out too and one final log roll Make sure you get your tickets to the Central Arkansas Music Awards, our debut festival, our uh, award ceremony. It's a a ceremony of recognition, we're calling it. Uh, Even though there will be awards given out, it's just really all about celebrating the great Central Arkansas music scene. We have a fantastic lineup. Um, You can learn more in the latest edition of the Arkansas Times or online at arktimes.com. Buy your ticket at centralarkansastickets.com free beer and wine for only five dollars in a great lineup wow it's on tuesday night come support local music and with that we will say goodbye subscribe via itunes give us a rating and review and go to 42 and tell them we sent you thanks benji thanks Lindsay.